well, thanks for coming on here, Sean. Um, we're super glad to have you. Um, it's called Goldmine Podcast, by the way. Guess we never really told oh, you that. that. Got some gold yeah. right here. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect. It's right colors. Yeah. Um, awesome. So you have kind of branded yourself on networking, building business relationships. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you started Tax Hive as well. You're working there. Um, yep. So just we'll start off by tell us a little bit about how you got to the point where networking and creating those relationships became important to you. Um, so years ago, I started a business. 2008 is when I started considering the business and the business was going to be a live event company. So go get big brand names, sell tickets, put on live events and big shows. And, and so at the time I had very little funds. And so I knew I needed to build my plan. So the first step was building the plan. Then I knew I needed to get great people around me. So I hired some great operators some marketers, everything else. So I had my plan, my people, Next phase was to get the money. So I went out and raised uh, $1.5 million for the business. And it was a whole other experience when you have to go convince investors to pull out their wallets and invest in your business, right? So raised one point five. And if you were to get in a time machine and go back to that moment when I had my plan, my team, and $1.5 in the bank, I was like, I felt like I was the king of the world, literally an overnight millionaire. And I had a plan that showed me I was going to be a spread is a spreadsheet millionaire plan. On this spreadsheet, I was going to crush. And so I go launch into the business, and my, my business partner is Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank guy. And one of his quotes is, in business, poo-poo happens. Yeah. And for me, poo-poo happened. I had one failure after another on operations, marketing, sales, you name it. Nothing came together for me. And one thing led to another. Within 12-month period, I had exhausted the 1.5, and it was gone. Didn't pay myself hardly anything, and i just blown through the 1.5 million bucks. To give you an idea, the automatic millionaire David Bach was our first kind of guy that we had on the stage, our marketing, direct mail marketing hit a week after the event, to give you an idea. All that money wasted. People didn't show. I mean, it was just disasters. I could tell you a thousand different things that went wrong trying to get this thing figured out. And blew through the 1.5, and it literally, I hit I hit this rock bottom moment on, on a, literally a Thursday night. And the reason why it was rock bottom is because I had two grand left in the bank after I'd exhausted everything and I had payroll due. So I called up the payroll company, said, don't run payroll. Payroll was around 3,500 bucks. So I was 1500 bucks short. And it was a Thursday night. And I remember it's like people in business, they spend a lot of time trying to solve problems, which is great, but there's a difference between problems and pain. And my pain ran really deep. Like it was a physical fetal position pain and I still remember just staring at my ceiling all night because that what it meant the next day is someone who had faith and confidence in me I had to go say hey sorry I can't pay you right and uh, so I I woke up I didn't even sleep I just literally went to work I was hoping there would be a deposit deposits didn't come all the way to noon there's no money and so I go to lunch and this awkward lunch with my business partner. We're just staring at each other like, okay, we've tapped everything. We don't know where to go. And we literally get a phone call from our controller, Denise. She calls us up and says, 
hey, Sean, I was digging through the safe and I found two grand in petty cash. And I was like, she's like, what do you want me to do with the cash? And I was like, hang on to the cash. And I drove my car, screeched my tires, and I drove back there to the office. I put the, up the, picked up the two grand cash. I went to the bank, and I made payroll by $500 and had to cut physical checks from the bank. And I remember handing those checks physically to each individual. And to me, it was a moment of saying, I'm never going to go through that pain again, and I'm not going to let you down. And I went around to the office and handed out physical checks that they were able to deposit. And for me, the, I knew I needed to do two things. Number one is I needed to bring on salespeople. And number two is I know I needed to get outside my lane and start networking with other people and start scaling some relationships. So number one is I literally called some of my friends. I was like, hey, can you come in and do sales? And they're like, when do you want us to start? I was like, can you be here Monday morning? Literally, can you come over now? And I convinced a few guys to come over. We sold our first sale on a Wednesday. And it was like the heavens were opened and manna came down and we were able to like it was four grand. That four grand could have been four hundred grand to me at the time. And then two is I said I have I, I was in, I had blinders on as a business owner and I just was in the grind of it all and I did not spend any time saying, Hey, I need to build relationships. And I started setting up lunches, doing meetings, and because of the relationships I was able to scale we were able to go on a run after that and pay off the investors all the money back plus interest and go on a run. But it was only because of relationships. So ever since then, I've really made it a goal to just reach out, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. 2009, 2008, that was a great recession. (laughs) So part of it is, is all my sales projections, we missed, I missed by a mile, right? And it was a tough time to sell anything. So that was in that original stage business. So when we start any company, obviously there is some form of debt, whether it's ignorance debt or uh, Mm -hmm. financial debt. It sounds like, well, I guess the question is, originally were those problems due to ignorance on your part or was it the market or what would you attribute those problems to? Yeah, definitely not having the right relationships was a a big part of the problem. Like I I felt like, I mean, I could have gone out and done like I, I believe in scaling relationships. So I create a relationship with you and then we can scale your business and my business together. I've seen it happen time and time again. So I definitely wasn't doing that. And we had all sorts of problems in every aspect of the business. I mean, you name it, we went through it. And part of scaling a business and starting a business is you just know that there's going to be wrenches thrown into the works. You know you're going to be going through some problems. And a lot of people don't account for that, but there is for sure problems that you're going to come across. Absolutely. What uh, Whatever happened to that business? Did you um, do you still have it? Did you sell it? Um, where Went did on you take a, it? a massive run and actually kind of operated it until about COVID kicks in, right? And Fair enough. It was a crazy time. No one was doing any kind of live events, and that's when we pivoted over to a tax business. And me and my business partners at the time, we we said, hey, let's put our heads together and figure out what are small businesses facing right now? What are the problems? Let's try to figure that out. And what we found is these small business owners, I'm talking 500 grand top line revenue, they are underserved in the market on taxes. And so, like, if you're W-2, you can take up to 10 deductions. That's it. If you're a business owner, you can take up to 1,400 deductions. 
And so when someone becomes a W-2, now I'm going to leap out and I'm going to go be a business owner. I'm going to start this thing. No one sits them down and says, okay, here's the crash course on how you become an entrepreneur. So they just go into it not knowing and they have that mindset of the W-2 person who's an employee person and they don't realize the whole code is written for business owners. Um, and so that's the problem that we wanted to solve in TaxIve. What was the inspiration for going to smaller businesses or medium-sized businesses rather than kind of that mm -hmm. medium to large space or um, like mm -hmm. individuals? Um, what made you want to go to just a small business owner? It's a great question. And I love what you guys do, by the way. I love that you guys are success-minded. And I mean, this is what entrepreneurs need to know. This is the real meat of what you guys do on your podcast but essentially, we just knew that a mid-sized business to a large business, they have departments of everything that we do. Like if you, add, if you look at what the ultra-wealthy do is they get wealthier, and they think about taxes. The small business owner, they're thinking about their shipping costs, their employee costs. They're thinking about all these things that are in the forefront of their mind, and taxes are the last thing they think about, and it ends up being one of their biggest expenses. So – we knew that we just had to get out in front of those small business owners. The big, big business owners, they think about it every day. They have teams for that. So we just knew that the small business owner just doesn't think about it. And then, you know, it's a bad strategy to wait till tax season and then just pray for a miracle. Right. Right. Was the tax world something you were involved in prior or did you just see an opportunity in the marketplace and decided to take it up? Yeah, we were involved in a tax uh, business uh, prior, but we wanted to pivot our whole business around the tax. And so we started TaxHive about four years ago, and we we had a friendship in Kevin O'Leary, the Shark Tank guy. So I reached out to him because we're like, hey, what's on a short list of potential brands that if we put their face in their videos in our marketing we could scale this business fast and get an incredible response. I mean, I tell all the small business owners, hey, go go get podcasts, go link up with bigger brands than you and work on some collaboration together. You get a lift. So we're like, who's on a short list in America for entrepreneurship? And definitely the sharks are. The sharks see millions of viewers every single week. Kevin has millions of people that look his, look at his social on a weekly basis. I mean, incredible. So we're like, why don't we go pitch Mr. Wonderful Kevin on this business? So we had a relationship with him. I was friends with him, but I didn't tell him what the business was. I sent him a text, said, hey, we want to come present a business to you. And he happened to be in Arizona. So <clears throat> as you watch this show, you know that numbers are extremely important. So we had, I had, I knew every number like bar charts, line graphs, everything. I knew every single number. I wasn't going to be called out on the carpet around not knowing the numbers because he was like, if you don't know the numbers, you're dead to me, right? I mean, if you watch the show, he's big on the numbers. You got to know it, right? So we were all prepared. We're sitting around the table. Kevin's on one side. Me and the business partners are on the other side. We stand up. We start launching into our presentation. Lots riding on this. So you consider that we really want to scale this business. We know with Kevin you got a scalable business five minutes in or less, maybe three or four minutes in. He does one of these like stop <laughs> basically the Simon Cow moment. He's like, stop. And I remember my heart sunk. Cause I was like, well, we did all this prep work. He was our number one pick. 
on our draft and it, the deal's over. And I remember looking at everyone and everyone's like looking at each other going like, this is a fail. This is done. Right. And he said, I'm in whatever it's going to take. I'm in because he knows he had a Canadian uh, tax business that he loved. And then he exited that business. And he's like, I want to get in taxes because he knows that the problem small business owners face. And he gets hit up all the time about from these business owners like, hey, how do we get good tax help? And then it took many, many more months. I mean, he's part of ABC, Sony, SAG. He's a union person. So it took many more months. And then we started, we built a relationship with him. So Kevin O'Leary is a business partner and is our brand for TaxHive. That's awesome. How did you, how were you able to, whenever you did, leverage and get into the rooms with um, like some of these bigger names? Like obviously he's got millions of followers. Everyone kind of knows who he is. How were you able to... You know, and you're a, a networking guy. How? Yeah. What strategies did you use to get in the rooms and mm-hmm. um, be able to even take such big names out to dinner? So I, I, I believe there's three rules in networking. These are so critical, and and these are the very basics. I get this is the most common question I get because I'm very networked. I spend a lot of my time networking. Right. I do I do those rooms on a daily basis. I literally have a lunch here at my office coming in. Um, with a bunch of entrepreneurs today. I have one coming up at Bucked Up on the 26th of July. I have a lot of the social media names you know are going to be at that lunch, for instance. But this, the rule number one is you have to really want it. I have so many – I've had many people. I have this one guy who looks like a human action figure who reached out to me who has a fitness plan. And he's like, hey, I need a network. I mean he network – he does fitness for entrepreneurs. I'm like – Hey, I'm happy to help you. Come out to my stuff. I invite him. No show. Invite him again. No show. Many, many times I invite him. He doesn't come. So the first, it's a grind. It's not easy. No one's like, there's no magic wand in it. You actually, if you really want it, then you got to pull out your calendar as the next piece of that first rule. And I'm a big believer in first scheduling what's the most important thing to you. Like, I never do lunch alone ever, Monday through Friday, ever. So my lunches are set next week. So that's the most important thing for me for the week. I start there first in my schedule. Pull out your calendar. Find out what events are going on. Never do lunch alone. I mean, like, you actually have to pay the price if you want to do it. You have to. So that's rule number one is you got to want to do it, and then you got to plan for it. Rule number two is start right here. With your phone. Start right here. If I were to look at your phones, I bet you have hundreds, if not thousands of contacts in your phone. These business owners are like, do you think a percentage of your contacts would buy your product? Right? And do you think a percentage of people that you've already met and people are just not good at following through with their contacts? And I I get referrals on a probably hourly basis right now. People mismanage referrals. It's crazy to me. Let's say Jacob Gabe, I've had a relationship. Let's say I had a relationship with you guys for years and I've built this rapport and this relationship and I feel so good about the relationship that I'm willing to turn you over to someone else who is a friend of mine. That's such a compliment. It's such a freaking, Yeah. I mean, I love it. You know, and, and so a lot of time entrepreneurs, they just don't respond. Or 
I have to go kind of back channel and say, hey, you, this is a really good, good freaking intro. You might want to hit that. So number two is just start with your contacts. I tell all the people who watch your podcast, start with three people a day. Text three people a day. Just how's it going? I actually keep a spreadsheet. It's old school, I know, but I keep <laughs> a spreadsheet of I have a list of daily contact people that are really important to my business, scaling tax hive. I have monthly people, I have quarterly people, and literally I just keep track of it in a system like that, and I just reach out to them. People are so bad at the follow through, so that's that's number two. And then the third the third piece is like you said, getting in the rooms. You have to go to live events. Never do lunch alone. Figure out where the events are going. And there's a couple of strategies you can do in those events that no one does. I've been to hundreds of them. Very few people. We'll actually go up to Jacob, Gabe, say, hey, great to meet you guys. Love to get your contact information. Very, very few people go. They want that, but they don't actually go up and approach you guys. They were all there to network, but they don't even do that piece. One other strategy, if I see Jacob, Gabe, I see you guys are kind of like the magnets in their room. There are certain magnets that are really connected in the room. If I as an entrepreneur, young entrepreneur, came to you and Jacob and Jacob and Gabe and said, hey, hey, guys. I'm looking to meet some mid-sized business owners. Would you guys mind introducing me to a couple of people? You're going to say yes. Like I'm good friends with David Meltzer, and I went to the Super Bowl with him. And it was the Super Bowl of networking. Like I'm with David, and people are – he's the biggest magnet I've been around, one of them. And people just keep coming into him, and he's like, hey, I want to introduce you to my friend Sean Finnegan. Immediately, I get credibility that I just got introduced by David, and then I set an appointment up with that person, right? So I get the contact information, and then the second step is, hey, guys, what is your schedule next week? I'd love to jump on a Zoom. How does Tuesday look for you guys? I actually walk away with however many appointments you want. Because the other other way is I don't get any contacts. That's one thing. I get home and like, dude, I met some great people. I didn't get anyone's information. Or I got a contact, I get home and I'm like, man, it's kind of awkward now. It's like, I don't want to text them out of the blue now and say, hey, I met you at the party. So you don't, you don't follow up. So I think the best networkers can go into a meeting and come away with five, 10 Zooms or appointments to follow up. Those are the best people on the planet Earth. So those are the three rules I have for it. When you're in an environment like that and you're getting contacts, Obviously, you have a couple options. You could either try to pitch them on your product or you could try to build a relationship and hopefully work with them one day or just help each other grow. So how, if you, if your intention, like ideally you would do both, right? How could you do both without taking from that relationship when you give the ask or give the pitch? It's a great question. I believe in not being transactional, which means, hey, I meet you right out of the gates. Hey, Jacob, Gabe, I got to tell you about my product. It's like your guard's up immediately. Yeah. Right? But I also believe in doing transactions. It's like, why do companies not have affiliate programs, dude? I'm paying them on a percentage of sales that they bring to me, and they're not W-2'd. I don't pay insurance. I don't pay anything. It's like, other than the revenue they bring in, it just blows my mind that someone doesn't have an affiliate kind of program. But the way I handle any brand in any situation is always the same. 
It's Stephen R. Covey said, seek to understand first and then to be understood. So the, especially these big brands, like, like my very first pitch to a big brand was Terry Bradshaw. If you ever watch him on, you see him on football. Meg is pretty mega brand. And as a kid, one of my heroes was Terry Bradshaw. I, I, I had like Pittsburgh Steeler pajamas only because of Terry Bradshaw to give you an idea. Years later, one of the first pitches in that business of the live event stage was Terry Bradshaw. And they picked my company in. I had to be the pitch guy. So I reached out to his agent and his agent said, hey, you have 30 minutes to meet with Terry Bradshaw in Pittsburgh. So I flew out to Pittsburgh and I get there and I'm like, this guy has been pitched by hundreds, if not thousands of people. If you're around these guys, this is what it looks like. Hey, um, hey, I got a, a product for you. Hey, I want to tell you about something. Hey, look at this product over here. It, it is, it is mind numbing. So I'm like, how do I do something different that is not like everyone else does? So I get the same results as of all those people. So we get, I fly in, I get into this massive hotel. And for whatever reason, there's hundreds of people in this hotel in the lobby. And Terry Bradshaw's down the hall in this boardroom. So I cut through all the people. I go down the hall. I open up the boardroom door and there's Terry Bradshaw by himself sitting in there. Dude, I'm like, remember like, this is like my childhood hero sitting there, larger than life. So I just, I, I, like, what came to my mind was first seek to understand. So I said, Terry, it's an honor. You've, you've been building out your brand. I want to learn about what you have going. What is your vision for your brand, and where do you see yourself in the future with what you're building right now? And then just understanding his ecosystem that he's built. He was on movies and he's on NFL and everything else. I also learned, dude, he broke his back and they didn't have any good medical facilities. So they went into the locker room, pulled the door off the wall, strapped him to a door and put him on a plane and sent him. He broke his finger and came back in the game. I mean, all these incredible stories I learned because I first wanted to seek to understand, and that 30 minutes turned into two and a half hours of me learning at his feet. And while he's telling me his ecosystem, I'm like, this is how I fit into the mix. We do live events. I can promote him there. He's trying to sell his book. I can promote him there. And then when he tells me his ecosystem, then I come in to say, hey, this is how we fit into your ecosystem versus Hey, I want to talk to you about my ecosystem. You need to fit into what I do, right? So first seek to understand. He, of course, signed the deal, and I got him for 10 shows in 10 cities over the next year and really got to know him well. But seek to understand. So when you're at a party, anything else, hey, tell me more about your business. Just I want to find out what you do, right? So I think that's a, a killer, killer concept. Definitely, yeah. I like that. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not just about like business success at all. Mm -hmm. um, we like to take a more holistic approach of what that means. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So you have a family, right? You said wife I do. and then yep. three daughters? Three daughters, yep. yep. Perfect. So how does how has having a family played into um, how you look at every aspect of your life, whether that's your business um, and how you operate, how many hours you put in, um, mm -hmm. why you do it? How has that affected your outlook on life and what it means to be successful? It's a great question. I, 
I love my three girls, you know, it's like, but I, I was raised, I had one older sister when I was being raised and I have these three brothers that are like, we'd, we'd punch each other out constantly, <laughs> you know? So I was pretty much raised with brothers. So I remember when I found out first I was having a girl and I'm like, dude, what do I do? How do I raise a little princess girl? It's like, how is this going to play out? And, and so I, I went and met with Brian Tracy. He's an old, he's an old sales trainer, like someone who has mentored me at the time. He's written like maybe 50 books or a hundred books. And I said, Hey, I'm having this, I'm stressing out. I'm having a girl. And I don't know the first thing I was a young father. I was 23 years old having this little girl. And now I've got to provide for this baby. And his advice was life changing for me. And his advice was the confidence of daughters is built by the fathers primarily. So if you as a father are tearing your daughters down in any way, it's going to hurt and ruin their confidence growing up. And then he's, then he gave me like 10 books I was supposed to read and I read them all. I read every book and based on what I read at the time, I figured out that you have to build up these girls on a regular basis because when they get to school and they face the world, they get torn down. Girls are mean. And uh, there's a lot of mean people out there that are competitive and they're going to tear down your girls. So you got to build their confidence. So every day I would talk to my daughters and, and talk about very specific things about them personally and physical features. Your eyes are so beautiful. You look so pretty to it and very specific things about them to try to build their confidence and have three very successful girls. And, and it's amazing. Um, but there's nothing, there's no greater joy to me at all than family. I mean, nothing better on the planet earth. And the more perspective I've had, the more I've understood that I went through those grinding years where I had some guilt as a father, where I was working way, way too much. And my perspective is just shifted to the, like every single minute is so essential and so important for you as a father. If you could go back, would you have changed those years where you were grinding and focus more time on family or do you look back on that and say, yes, that was needed or, uh, you know, those hours I put in made it possible for me to spend more time now. Do you look back on that and, and regret not spending more time with them? Yes, I definitely wish if, if I go back, I would definitely want to, but at the, at the same time as fathers, we're told that we have to supply and support our children and supply for the family, right? Support the family. And on one hand, and then the other hand, we're supposed to be really attentive, great fathers and, and, and not miss anything. And those are two forces working against each other sometimes. You know what I mean? You want to grind out in your business and you tell yourself as a father, I'm only doing this because of my daughters and my wife, right? I've got to support the family. So definitely there was times that I think balance is like very, very difficult. But I, I think at the same time, my daughter saw an entrepreneur and they were raised by an entrepreneur. And my two older daughters are now entrepreneurs. And you never know as a father if your kids are going to pick it up. But like six months ago, for instance, I have a, I have a daughter who is a guitarist. She has a classical guitar degree. So she does lessons. But she reached out to me. She's like, Dad, I want to start my own business. And it was like one of those proud papa moments of like, dude, my daughter's an entrepreneur. And you wonder as an entrepreneur is like she was also there during my hard times and my good times and 
Like, did, how much do they learn? And they pick up. You, you like they pick up so much more than you know. So I was like, okay, what's your business? And she's like, I want to sell microgreens. Microgreens. And I was like, tell me about that. Yeah, these, you know, those little teeny greens that you put on salads and stuff. That's what I want to do. And I said, well, where's your business plan? Business plan. So I made her go do the research. What does the market look like? Who are your competitors? And then she built the plan. I said, okay, now where's your brand? A brand. It's like walking her through that. And then so she went out and built it. She has a dog named Berkeley Bean. So it's Berkeley Bean Microgreens. And so she built her packaging. She's got her product. She literally has a small little house and she's raised these microgreens and figured out, read all this stuff done YouTube university. She's now raising microgreens. Now she's got a product. She's got a brand. She's got a Instagram. And I was like, is this really going to sell? You know, now she's going to go launch. And she went to, um, she's in Arizona. She went to LA fitness and she's like, Hey, I'd like to sell my microgreens out front. And they're like, okay. So here's my cute daughter with her little table and her thing her little sign up and she got free samples in her boxes. And it was like, you know, there's certain times as a father where you see a picture, like it stays in your mind. And that's one of those snapshots that will stay in my mind forever. Seeing my daughter, an entrepreneur daughter sitting out in front of this, you know, LA fitness, getting rejected, trying to talk to every person coming in. It was just like this moving moment. And she sold a couple of boxes and it was like awesome. But she went to like one of the big grocery stores there and says, I got these microgreens and they bought her product. So now she's selling to grocery stores and she sells out her product every single week right now. And she's making maybe two to 300 bucks a week. Um, and she's doing guitar lessons also. So I was like, she's actually accomplished it. And I was like such a proud moment to say, hey, maybe there was really good benefit of her seeing an entrepreneur and seeing me go through that. And same with my second daughter, same thing. Yeah, so. and that does them being able to see you move imp, impacts them in a in a pretty real way. Like they're able to see what real work ethic takes. They're able to manage expectations of what it actually takes to be successful in a business. So with that, I'm kind of curious, what would you want for your daughters? Like what would success be in your mind for them? Yeah, it's always the thing, like, you know, you raise them, you hope them you just want them to be extremely confident people. First, you want them to be responsible ultimately. But what I found is, is the, some of those books I read, um, based on those books, we have priorities as parents. Our top priorities are future thinking, um, responsibility, safety, right? Theirs are, until their frontal lobes established, theirs are friends, freedom, food, right? It's like, two totally conflicting things. So a lot of parents will be like, why can't they think about the future? And the teenagers are like, I'm just thinking about what I'm doing with my friends right now. You know what I mean? And that's, that's actually, according to the books I've read, that's why they get along with grandparents. Cause the grandparents have the same exact values as teenagers, grandparents, friends, freedom, and food. That's why they are meshed with, your teenagers because they're both on the same way parents are on completely different playing field than than teenagers and if you just understand that concept with teenagers 
It's like, hey, you got to do this responsibility so you can go out and hang out with your friends and have freedom and go get some food, right? Just tie it to the responsibility. But ultimately, you hope that they're responsible people and they choose a good spouse. Um, and you hit a point where they have to go out and choose on their own. And it's a scary thing as a father seeing them choose someone to bring home, right? And you hope it's the right one. And so far... I'm two for two, and then I have a 17-year-old who's left at home. But I, I, they've chosen two really good, hardworking young men. So that's what I hope for. High confidence and great relationships in their marriage. Okay, that's good. Uh, so I want to leave it a little bit more open-ended, too. Is there any other aspect of your life um, that you pour a lot of energy into that you find is important to be successful in? Yeah, I feel like you got to work hard and you got to play hard, right? I Absolutely. feel like that's an important piece to entrepreneurship. Like, I, I, I'm with people all day, and a lot of them just get sucked up into the entrepreneurship, and that's all they do. And they, their family relationships are destroyed a lot of times, unfortunately, and their personal hobbies are destroyed. Their fitness goes to the wayside because they're so focused in that grinding blinders on part of being an entrepreneur. And so I think you think you have to have time. Like you said, that's why I love what you guys do in your podcast. I think it's brilliant. Most people just talk about success in business, but success in business could mean that you've, you've basically lost your family in the process and you've lost your health in the process. Right. And so I think that's such an important piece is to keep that like this concept of scheduling right now, what's the most important thing next week? First. Next thing, the week after, is like, what is my most important thing that week? First. Just get those out of the – just make sure that it is. Otherwise, you fill it with all these constant meetings and everything else as an entrepreneur, right? So just take time. Like your whole podcast is take time with your family. Like I should have a schedule next week and I need to do better on that personally right now. It's like take my wife out next week on Friday night. Schedule it with her. That's an important piece that gets thrown by the wayside sometimes. Schedule that with him. Make sure I'm with my daughter certain times and it's scheduled. And never lose that priority. And same with my fitness. I love mountains. I just play pickleball with Bucked Up, Ryan uh, Gardner, those Bucked Up guys, yep. and a bunch of entrepreneurs this morning. So all that stuff is like just don't lose the important other aspects of life. And I think that's probably your focus on your podcast. And I like what you said about emphasizing scheduling in your calendar. I know as an entrepreneur, if you don't schedule it, there's always things you can do. There's always things that need to be done. There's always fires that need to be put out, especially if you're really trying to scale, really trying to grow. So having a, having it as a priority in your calendar, nope, this is an actual appointment, definitely changes things. And so being able to prioritize like that, that's a good way to think about it. And I'm curious, we spoke earlier about you know how when you're young, so when you're young, it's friends, food, and freedom. When you're old, it somewhat goes back to that. I always love learning about uh, the perspective of people older than me because obviously they have more experience in life. And it seems like that is a trend that you know the older people get, they do tend to divert back to uh, you know friends and family, and you know food is always great. So I wonder your thoughts on whether or not you think that is the ideal and the ultimate is the friends, food, family, if that is really where our uh, attention and priority should be, or if you just think that's 
part of a season in life rather than a primary focus throughout all of life. Yeah, so I have a good name. His name is a good buddy. His name is uh, Richie Norton, and he lives in North Shore, Hawaii, literally lives on the beach. His neighbors is Jack Johnson, like one of my all-time best artists. Anyways, he's, his son is good friends with Jack Johnson's son, and they surf together, and they're buddies. But Richie wrote the, is a best-selling author. He wrote this book called Anti-Time Management. And the whole book is about we spend our whole career till we're 65 years old. And then those are supposed to be the golden years past 65 where you get to travel and you get to enjoy life. So it's like this grind for 65 years. And then I want to travel right here and have a great time with my family. And, and his book is anti-time management and throw that upside down. And he calls it time tipping. So if the golden years are you traveling with your family and enjoying life, just take a small piece of that and give yourself a tip up here as an entrepreneur and take time to do those golden years now. And that's he personally chose that path. And when he graduated from college, he stayed at Hawaii and hasn't left. He doesn't have an office. He's extremely successful. He works two to three hours a day. He walks on the beach on his phone. He's got his dogs with him. He spends all day with his family. So he took those golden years and he put them into his life. And so I'm trying to take some of those golden year moments, like I'm going to Oxford this week on Thursday. I wouldn't normally do that for 10 days as an entrepreneur, but I'm trying to take those moments and putting them up right now as an entrepreneur and enjoying the time. Absolutely. So I'm curious about scheduling. This is more just kind of nitty gritty, but do you have mm -hmm. a specific app or way that you like to keep track of your schedule? So a lot of guys are really regimented. Like, do you know Ryan Pineda? Yeah. You know who that is? Yep. He wakes up at 530. I was with him two weeks ago. He wakes up at 530 every single day. I mean, he's down to the minute. I mean, he has his thing, and I'm I'm definitely not that person. I found that that doesn't fit my style, but I am, I, I'm more like I need to do certain things in a day. So I need to work out for 30 to 45 minutes every single day, an hour preferably. I need to say my prayers every day. I need to spend some time reading every day. I need to spend time with my daughter and my wife every day, right? So... Those are the things I never try to go a day without spending those times. And it, maybe it's a check-the-box thing, but I try never to have a day where I, I miss those things. So I think that's – and so I just get that done in the day. And I feel great at the end of the day if I've gotten all those things knocked off the list. Yeah, and that reminds me of something as well. One perspective change I've had recently, and it seems obvious now that, you look back, now that I'm looking back on it, but – the success you end up seeing long-term obviously isn't about the, the output, it's about the input. So focusing on the inputs every day will lead to success long-term and success not just meaning specifically financial success, but success in a holistic way. And it seems as though that pretty clearly shows your priorities and where you see success being, you know, with the family, with your health. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, I assume you're spending lots of time on your business as well. So definitely yeah. in those arenas. Um, and I think that is, that's really cool to see those inputs. 
What inputs would you recommend for the young entrepreneur, whether they're single or married or have kids? What inputs would you recommend on a daily basis? Maybe that won't uh, won't necessarily take up your whole schedule, but things that are uh, mm -hmm. recommended or needed every single day. The biggest problem I've seen with young entrepreneurs is is this thing right here. This is freaking phone, man. And most entrepreneurs, they actually kind of glory in the grind. That grind's a big thing, you know? And uh, they love the grind that I have a good friend. I won't say his name, but he has this relationship and he's been dating this girl for a long time. She sets up this candlelight dinner in Oregon on the coast. Incredible trees, the surrounding environment to have really a great time with him and build a stronger relationship. And they're fortunately now they're engaged. He is going into the dinner. He looks down at his phone and he gets a phone call from a guy he's been chasing. He's a marketing agency. He's been chasing this guy for months. He decides I'm going to take this call and he spends 90 minutes on that call with this entrepreneur. All the while, while his girlfriend is sitting there at the table, food's cold. No, my buddy's not there. He then comes in an hour and a half later, and now he wants to make it up to her, and she's devastated. She planned all this whole night. And I was like, he, he told me about the experience, and I said, unless you have some boundaries and you can switch tasks you're going to lose your relationship. So I just think it's just like we have an electronic leash and I think it's a massive problem and I fall prey to it too. Uh, we all do. It's an electronic leash. But like really being in the moment with someone is what I'm really trying to focus on is like how do I actually look at this person eye to eye and have a conversation to my daughter? How was your day? Tell me about school. Tell me everything. What were your biggest highlights of the day? What, what, what did you find that was a failure you're working on that you're trying to overcome? All those conversations are so quintessential. And if I'm looking at my phone, I know those don't happen authentically. So I think these entrepreneurs that are grinding, I think that's the fastest way to lose relationships at night. And it's easier said than done. Maybe it's 7 o'clock at night. Nothing is that important that you have to take a call at 9 p.m. at night. Just put it away. Get it out of your freaking, especially young. You guys, everyone's raised. You guys are raised in technology, man. It's like put that in the drawer, get rid of it, and just sit down and have an authentic conversation. Let's put it away. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now too. <laughs> so to clarify, you're talking about number one, having boundaries when it comes to mm -hmm. work in general mm -hmm. and yep. your schedule, and then also having boundaries like personal boundaries with your cell phone, having some self control there, mm -hmm. and having specific times, likely in the evenings, where mm -hmm. there is no no phone, no phone. You're not picking up sales calls, anything like that. Yeah, some I've tried to do. Like when I take my family to dinner now, I actually have everyone's phone and I put it all in the chair, What's including mine. Idea? It's yeah. like, cause one time I'm sitting at dinner and I'm on my phone, checking email. I look over, all my daughters are on their phone and my wife's on her phone and we're sitting at dinner. How often do you get a chance to have your loved ones at a dinner? It's like maybe once a week, twice a week. And you're going to spend that hour to two hours on your phone connecting with other people. 
So ever since then, I'm like, okay, we're going to put the phones right here on this and you get incredible, authentic conversations. And it's, and it's what's missing now. I mean, now we're AI generation. This AI is insanely cool. I love it. (laughs) But can you imagine like the need for authentic, real conversations, real conversations is going to be greater than ever in our human history than right now when with all this tech surrounding us. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I kind of want to shift to one last thing um, mm-hmm. since you mentioned it. How has this, having a spiritual life and believing in a higher power affected uh, every other facet of your life? You know, how do, how do you conduct business differently? How do your relationships look different believing in a God? Yeah, I just, I just feel like you need that compass in your life. Like in, in all aspects, it's not like you have a business world and then you have a religious world. It's like it needs to be like literally the God's the CEO of your life. And you got to listen. And for, for me, it's a constant challenge being gravel surrounding us and noise, but just taking the moments to listen, listen to God. I mean, I don't think there's better time you can spend than communicating with God and, and really being sincere about it and, and talking to talking to God at night and multiple times if you can during the day. And it really helps form who you are. It also builds your faith in other things. So if you have faith in God, I'm probably going to have more faith in a business I'm running. I'm probably going to, I think your overall faith increases in everything you do. So I think it's at the, at the core of it, it affects every aspect of your life. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It's, it's almost the lens of the paradigm through which you see the world and make decisions. And, Having a base like that, especially, you know, one that has historically been proven to at least have wisdom there at, at its base, at its core, uh, at the very least gives you a better understanding of life and also helps you to make better decisions. You know, having a, a strong value system makes you feel better about your, your decisions as well and more confident. So that's it's cool to see that. Yeah, I used to live in Tucson years ago and I worked at a company called AOL Time Warner and I still, I wasn't even asking for this, but I still remember driving. There was a main freeway, and I was probably spending seventy to eighty hours at this job a week. To give you an idea, I was living there, and I think that aspect of my family with these little girls was out of whack. And I still remember driving down Speedway in my car, and I felt one of the strongest promptings of my life that said, "This job isn't the job for you." And, and I was like. I still remember I was looking at a palm tree with a blue sky and I was like, I'm feeling pretty good right now when this came to my mind. And a week later, our whole department was laid off. And at the time, it was devastating. It was horrible. But I remember that that God literally, and there's a few times in my life where I feel like it was this really clear message for me. And I knew that that was not the right position for me to be in and I needed to move. And that was a direct you know, message from God, I felt like. And so literally after that job, I took off and, and, and packed up my family, went on a U-Haul, moved here to Utah and, and started working on a new business. And it was the best, best thing. I started spending 40 hours at a, at the office a week. And then it changed my whole probably trajectory because of that one prompting. That's all it takes. Those one key, just one key decision to completely change your life. And now here you are. Uh, it seems like you're doing very well, very impressive business. Um, you know, as we research uh, ahead of time for this podcast, learning more about 
what you do and how you roll. It's it's good to see your success and uh, definitely good to good to speak with you as well. Great to speak with you guys. We Great. really appreciate you coming on here, spending the time. We know your time is very valuable. Great. Um, we appreciate your insight, man. It's an honor. I, I love what you guys are doing. I love the the aspect of multiple areas of life. I think it's it's really unique and it's genuine. And you're going to get really good, genuine content. I think entrepreneurs need to consume what you guys are putting out there. 